Hey, welcome to Everyday Economics, the podcast that helps you learn about the economic world happening around you every day. I'm your host, Chris Krug. I'm president of the 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan Franklin News Foundation. Everyday Economics is a production of America's Talking Network. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. To support Everyday Economics, please make your tax-deductible charitable contribution by clicking the link in the show description. We are recording this episode on the day before Thanksgiving, Wednesday, November 22nd. And joining me as always, my dear friend and inaugural Benjamin Franklin Award winner, Dr. Orfei Divangi, is a PhD economist. Dr. O, congratulations on your prestigious award given to you by the America's Talking Network for outstanding contributions. Holy moly. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do this. It's been so much fun. And, uh, and I get excited every time we get in the studio, man. You're the best. And we are right in your sweet spot today. We're going to talk about the Federal Reserve and what came out of the last policy meeting, which would have been in the middle of the day on Wednesday, or excuse me, the middle of the day on Tuesday, November 21st. So just yesterday. How do you read the tea leaves on this? I mean, it's like, this is everybody's like, you know, green light, yellow light, red light. This is feels very yellow light to me. Yeah, th- th- that's right. I mean, look, everybody seems to be expecting these rate cuts in 2024. I mean, just read another post by EY, chief economist, who say, hey, we expect rate cuts to start in June 2024 and expect the Fed to cut about 75 basis points by the end of next year. And, you know, I am sympathetic to this idea. I mean, I would love to see rate cuts. And, and maybe, right, maybe the economy, you know, look, I, here's what I said to my team yesterday. A data-dependent, rear-view, mirror-looking Fed. It basically means that the Fed will have to see a big decrease in economic activity before it decides to deliver the rate cuts that the market is already pricing in. And, uh, and what that means is perhaps we can't avoid a recession because if you just think about it. Uh, if economic activity starts to decrease, to decline, deteriorate really rapidly and the Fed is late to respond, then policy would have become even more restrictive without the Fed doing anything, right? Uh, which basically could send the U.S. economy into a recession. And so, uh, and so for those people who expect a 75 basis points cut in the Fed funds rate by uh, June of this year, well, you know, are they really seeing a recession? Uh, uh, because I don't think the Fed will cut until it's too late, unfortunately. And that's usually what it does. That's, you know, the probability that this happens again is pretty high. All right. So if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, Here's what you're saying, that the the street thinks that rates are going to go down, that the borrowing rates going to go down. You're not so convinced. And I mean, you start tossing around numbers like three quarters of a point. I mean, I'm basically saying that if they believe rate cuts are coming in June of 2024, yes. then they then they must implicitly believe that we'll be in a recession by June 2024. Okay. Because if because a data-dependent Fed has to see inflation down to its target before it reacts. I really wanted you to kind of pause and talk yeah. and talk about those two things. Like this yeah. is a case of just watch what you wish for because- Yeah, but, but I think they're wrong, right? I think they're wrong. Nothing signals to me that we'll be in a recession 
by June of 2024. Okay. I mean, look, core inflation's 4.1% year over year. Right. And yes, the last, the last month, you know, uh, the, the last month increase, uh, if you annualize that, you're still at 2.8%, mm-hmm. uh, core inflation, right? right. And what does annualizing really mean? It means that we'll literally have to maintain that uh, that pace, that monthly pace for the next 12 months in order to come in at 2.8%. Doesn't seem like it would be that easy. Exactly. Exactly. So so even if, even if things work out nearly perfectly, Europe is still above target, above the Fed target. And so unless you see a massive deterioration in economic activity, unless something breaks, uh, I don't see how you can justify uh, rate cuts by June 2024. Mm -hmm. To me, that just that to me, that's just kind of uh, wishful, wishful thinking. Right. But let's but let's get back to those Fed minutes. Look, the the Fed minutes, the Fed itself uh, says, and I'm going to quote risks around the inflation forecast were seen as skewed to the upside. Given the possibility that inflation might prove to be more persistent than expected, or that adver- additional adverse shocks to supply conditions might occur, right? And, and I kind of agree with that. I agree with that. I, I, you know, you have a situation where labor supply might be constrained, that you have to have a continued increase in labor supply to keep wage growth slowing, that you still have too many job openings, and, and just and just this morning alone, initial job claims fell. Continuing job claims fell, right? Uh, the the labor market's still tight, <laughs> you know. Let's well, let's introduce the stat, and then and then let you talk about it. So, like in this summer, and this literally just came out this morning as we were as we were kind of prepping for the show. So, weekly uh, jobless claims dropped twenty four thousand to two thousand, or excuse me, to two hundred nine thousand. Continuing claims declined 22,000 to 1.84 million. So there's still, you know, 1.84 million people, you know, in the United States that are that are that are on unemployment at this point. Although the the, the number of weekly claims dropped the, by the, uh, the, that that's right. that are claiming, right? That are claiming. So you probably have more that's right. It, it, but it, and again, you know, uh jobless claims Tend to, you know, if you look at it, three months, three months of jobless claims tend to tell you something about employment growth and at least the changes in these claims. And so, you know, it looks to me like even though the labor market is still slowing, right, it's slowing at a slower pace. And and the, and the risks that, you know, the wage growth and that, uh, you know, and that inflation could, uh, could be... Uh, slowing at a much slower pace, right? That disinflation could be occurring at a slower pace or higher, right? I just don't expect a big decrease in in the pace of disinflation. And and look, when the Fed talks about downside risks to the economy, I'll tell you exactly what, uh, what the document said. And I quote, as downside risks, Participants cited the possibility that the effects on households and businesses of the cumulative policy tightening and tighter financial conditions could be larger than expected. I yeah, disruptions from a potential government shutdown, and the possibility that the resumption of student loan repayments could weigh on household spending by more than was expected. And so let's be real. Financial conditions have loosened 
significantly since. The weight of student loan repayments was somewhat exaggerated, and a slowdown in the pace of government spending and government and a government shutdown aren't likely this year. We just diverted one, the government shutdown. And so all of the downside risks that the Fed was looking at to slow down economic activity and core inflation have been somewhat abated. They're not there. And so, you know, while inflation might continue to moderate and inflation expectations remain well anchored, I still I still see more upside risk than downside risk to inflation. Well, I appreciate your thoughts as always. For Update Devangi, this has been Chris Krug, subscribe to Everyday Economics and dozens of other high quality podcasts at America's Talking.com.